Genesis chapter 21, beginning of verse 1, it says, The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears me will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Remember that uh, both Abraham's and Sarah's first response to God's news that they would bear children by the time it got around to it was uh, they both uh, laughed. And actually, uh, Isaac means laughter. Now let's skip down to chapter 22 and in verse 1. It says, After these things God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come to you again. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hands the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together, and Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself a lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham lived at Beersheba. This weekend, camping on the island with all my grandkids was a, a lot of fun while well, all shy won. The campground that we're at had a no beach, which we kind of 
regretted, but we, there's beaches that we could take them to. It had a dock that they all got to swim off of, and that was a lot of fun. That island has a pretty high spot on the island, which was called the mountain. Let's go climb the mountain. So we got a, there was a lot of, uh, Grandpa, we want to go on a hike, and Grandma, you want to go on a hike. And so we got lots of hiking up and down the mountains, and, and we got lots of time snorkeling in the water, looking for crayfish, and swimming off of inner tubes and floaties and stuff like that. And for all of that, every once in a while, because we did lots of head counts. How many are there? Because there was a lot of them. Every once in a while, you got a brief panic. Where's that one? And he started calling the name and looking around. And we, we always found him rather quickly. But you know, the, the panic that ensues, that's what... Uh, Silas got uh, followed the dog out of camp one one time, and and I heard Dan yell for him, and I thought, oh no! And I went running back into camp to try to find Silas and or into the woods, and and I, I caught up with him just that he'd already found him, and and I told Dan, I said, you know, either keeps you young or makes you old. I'm not sure which, but the, but the heart just going, you know. And and Dan's response was, he says, yeah, you know, he says he says chances are they're fine. They're just having a good time in the woods. But for that one small chance, your heart is just abounding, you know. It's just, and, and why? Well, it's, it's because they're so dear to your heart. You, you, just, you just love them and you don't want anything bad to happen to them. And you, those kind of things keep you up at night thinking about what could have happened and that kind of thing. And when I think about that and then I come into this story about Abraham and I think about what God called upon Abraham to do to sacrifice his only son, travel with three days with him, build this altar, bind up, tie up his son, even how, how hard would that have been to do? And then to place him on the altar and to sacrifice his son uh, up to God. Take your only son, the son whom you love. And I was thinking about that this week. Abraham didn't love his son any less than I love my sons and my daughters and my grandchildren. He loved his kids that way. In fact, when you think about the history coming into this, Abraham had longed for a son. I'm sure before he even got married, he looked forward to that time when he would be a father and and have a family. And then when he gets married, the discouragement that would have taken place is they find out that they are unable to have children. And then for a, for all those years, how he would have longed for children and not gotten them. And then even at 75 years old, God gives him a promise. Okay, you're going to have a son. And that would still wait 25 years before this day would come. In fact, I found myself picking up my Bible and reading in, in uh, Genesis 21 there with a little bit of an excitement of my own. Hey, the day's finally here because we spent so long focusing on the covenant to Abraham and the promise of a son. It's like, hey, it's, it's here. It's actually going to happen. Imagine the joy that they would have gone through and everything and then the, the pride this is the promised son, and, and God is going to bless our family through this son, and he's even going to bless the entire world through this son. And the pride that would have went with that, and then God tells him one day, okay, Abraham, sacrifice him. Oh, talk about taking the wind out of your sails. Talk about confusion that would have set in. Wait a minute, this is the promised child. The promises haven't been fulfilled yet. All those things haven't happened yet that, that he's the key to. So the confusion that would have set in. And Abraham is called upon to do this thing. But you know what he does? It says that he got up early the next morning, got everything ready and left. He didn't even drag his feet or procrastinate about it. I mean, if that was my task, I think I could find 50 or 11 reasons to, to not go. To, 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 well, one more, well, but this has to be done. Well, but this has to be done. And 
But he's up early and going and just obedient and following God. You know, when God calls us to faith, true biblical faith, it's not a small thing that he's calling us to. What would Jesus tell his disciples? If you don't love me more than your father, mother, sisters, brothers, your own life, you're not worthy of me. See, biblical faith puts God above all else. He's not a a priority in our life. He's the priority in, in our life that all the other priorities in our life get organized under. He is the central focus and the main thing of our life. And we see Abraham doing exactly that. And and you know what's really cool about this? Of all the places in the Old Testament, the clearest place to see Jesus Christ, I think, is in this passage right here. Abraham, by doing this, is doing so much more than what he could see temporarily there. In fact, I believe it's at this point right here that when Jesus tells the Pharisees that Abraham saw my day and rejoiced to see it, that this is what it's referring to. I think Abraham got, a, Abraham got a glimpse, a clear picture of what God was going to do through his son, Jesus Christ. And so Abraham, as he follows God in obedience and steps out in faith to go on this journey to sacrifice his son, he's doing so much more than just his own relationship with God. He gives us, he gives all the world before us this picture of what God was going to do. And in doing it, he got to see a glimpse himself of what Jesus' day would be. The similarities between Jesus and, and Isaac are astounding. First of all, we see that they're both promised sons. Jesus is God's promised son. In fact, Isaac is part of the promise of Jesus. The covenant with Abraham is part of the promise of Jesus. But they were both promised sons. Not only that, they were both loved sons. They were both born miraculously. One was born by a virgin. One was born by a man and a woman whose body is as good as dead about having a child. Both are descendants of Abraham. The only son. Now we know that Abraham actually had another son. And what do we see when God comes to Abraham here? He says, take your son, your only son. And then in verse 12 of chapter 22, he does it again. He refers to Isaac as your only son. And that's exactly what Jesus is to God. Jesus is the only begotten of the Father. He's God's only begotten Son. The Father leads the Son to be sacrificed, just as God the Father leads Christ to be sacrificed, and Abraham leads Isaac out to be sacrificed. They both leave home to be sacrificed. Jesus leaves heaven to come to be sacrificed. Isaac, they have to go on this three-day journey. Both took place on the same hill. That, that is pretty astounding. It says, God says to Abram, go to the land of Moriah. And there I'm going to show you a certain hill that he's going to be sacrificed on. Now, was this the same hill that we look at as Mount Calvary or Golgotha, or the place of the skull where Christ was crucified? We can't know for certain, but he was in, the very, he was in that region, in that area, if not on the very hill. I'm inclined to think it might be on the very hill. Now, the reason that we know that is in Second Chronicles, when they're going to build the temple, when they're going to build the temple, it says, Then Solomon began to build the temple, the house of the Lord, in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah, where the Lord had appeared to David, his father, at the place that David had appointed on the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite. Now, if you look up the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite, we find that David had purchased that before. Because during David's reign as king, 
he decided in his pride at one time to number the people. Let's count the people, see how many. It's like a pastor's conference. How many people do you have at your church? <laughs> you <know? laughs> and so David, David counts the people to see how great his kingdom is, and it was a mistake. So God judges David, but he gives him three choices. He says you can have uh, uh, pestilence, you can have uh, be attacked by your enemies, or you can have... Uh, the last one slips my mind. Anyway, David chooses the pestilence. He says, I'd rather be at the hand of God than the hand of my enemies. The hand of my enemies won't be merciful. God will be merciful. In the midst of the pestilence, while people are dying, David decides to offer up a sacrifice to God to plead for mercy. And so he goes to Ornan and says, I want to buy your threshing floor. I'm going to build an altar there. And, you know, threshing floors are up on hills. Because the whole point is, you throw the wheat up in the air, and the seeds come down because they're heavy, but the chaff gets blown away by the wind. You do them on top of hills, so you have lots of wind. So he buys this threshing floor up on the hill from Ornan, and he offers a sacrifice there, and God takes away the pestilence from among Israel. That's where they built the temple. The area around the temple is it's a mountainous area. Was the temple built and the threshing floor, is that right at what they call Mount Moriah? Or is it in the, the region of Moriah? You know, there's, there's a little bit of speculation here or there. But the point is, it's either that the temple is sitting right on the exact spot that Isaac was sacrificed, then Jesus then was taken outside of that to Golgotha. Um, but at any rate, it's right in that region, if not on the very peak itself. And so it's a very interesting thing that Isaac and his sacrifice... Same place, same region, same area, maybe same exact spot that Christ would one day be sacrificed. And Isaac carries the wood for the altar for his own fire. What does Jesus do? He bears the cross. He carries, he carries his own cross. Three days. Three days Jesus would die and be in the grave, in the tomb for three days. For three days with Abraham, his son is as good as dead in his mind as he travels those three days. Also the resurrection. We see Christ and, and His death, which would lead to His resurrection from the dead and His overcoming sin on our behalf. We see the same thing with Isaac. Where do we see it? In the mind of Abraham. Because if we look at Hebrews chapter 11, it gives us insight into what Abraham was thinking. And I've thought that a lot. What in the world were you thinking as you're heading off to sacrifice your own son? What things would you be wrestling with? And remember I mentioned confusion. That there would be confusion because this is the promised child that all these promises are to be fulfilled. How can they be fulfilled if he dies? Abraham was obviously thinking of those same things. And the reason is because in chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews, verses 17 through 19, it says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. And so you see, he says, what was, what was going on in Abraham's mind for those three days as they're traveling? He's wrestling with, how can this be? God has promised me this son. If I kill him, how do the promises get fulfilled? He found an answer. God cannot lie, so I'm going to kill Isaac. God's going to bring him back to life. And then the promises are still going to be fulfilled through Isaac. That was his conclusion. And so we see the resurrection is within the mind of Abraham. 
And within the experience of Isaac, because the Bible says, figuratively speaking, he does receive him back. Because for three days, as he was journeying, Isaac was dead in Abraham's mind. But then he receives him back in the end. And the one difference. With Jesus, God does not stay the hand of the executioner. See, Jesus is the true Isaac. Isaac was the shadow of the reality of Jesus Christ. I don't mean Isaac is a a make-believe character. He's absolutely real. But his life and the events that were happening in that place, in his place in history, he was a shadow. He was a picture, a copy that would point to the reality that would be found in Jesus Christ as God would send his son to be sacrificed, as he would carry that cross, as he would go up on that mount, and he would lay down his life for our sins in providing for our salvation. And that's what we want to consider here this morning is the way of salvation that God makes very clear. Well, in this passage, we see the way of salvation includes two different things. One is that it is inclusive. The way of salvation is inclusive. And the reason that I point to that is because this is the fulfillment of God's covenant with Abraham. What does that covenant focus on? It focuses on Abram, first of all, individually, making his name great. It focuses on his family, giving him a son. It focuses on his nation, making him into a great nation. And it focuses on the world. Through him, all the world would be blessed. And so God is very inclusive in this salvation, in that the salvation, though it was given and provided to and through Abraham and his descendants, his salvation would go out to all the world and be a blessing to the entire world. And we even see a hint of that already. We see the direct statement, of course, as God reconfirms his covenant again with Abraham after his obedience. But we also see it through Lot. Think back to Lot. Lot went down to Sodom, ends up fleeing from Sodom. As God leaves him out of there, delivers him out of there, as he destroys Sodom and Gomorrah because of their sin. Lot says, I can't handle it out on the prairie. Don't let me live out there. Let me go to this other small town, Zoar. God says, okay, go to Zoar. Lot is afraid of the people of Zoar, so he leaves Zoar and goes back out of Zoar. At this point, it's just Lot and his two daughters. And his, um, his wife, remember, had been turned into a pillar of salt that we mentioned as she looked back at Sodom as it was under destruction. In fact, there's a pillar of salt. I understand to this day that the Bedouin referred to as Lot's wife. But through an incestuous occurrence between Lot's daughters and him, two more people groups are going to start, the Moabites and the Amorites. Both of those are going to be a thorn in the flesh of the Israelites down through history. You know what? Whenever we take and try to do something outside of God's directions in his program, it just brings negative consequences and trouble. And that's what happens. But you know what? Even in that, we see a little glimpse of redemption. Even in that, we see a little glimpse of inclusion. Because the Moabites would be a people that would be a thorn in Israel's side. But you know what do we look at when we get to the New Testament? We see the lineage of Christ. And you know who's within the lineage of Christ? A woman named Ruth. And you know what Ruth's heritage is? Moabite. She's from Moab. And so we see a Moabitess within the lineage of Christ. And, 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 and the Gospels are clear to point it out. There's four different times. Usually the lineage just tracks male to male to male to male. There's four different times where it points out females, and Ruth is one of the females. And so we even see that inclusion already, that even as Lot's sin within his family brings more problems into the world, that also 
will be included in the reach, within the reach of the salvation that we experience. And so when we see God providing for his salvation, what do we see? That it's, first of all, very inclusive. It's for everyone. The Bible tells us in the New Testament in John chapter 3 and verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. This gospel goes out to all the world, not just to the physical descendants of Abraham, not just to the nation of Israel, but it includes everyone. But at the same time that we see that it is very inclusive, we also see that it is very exclusive. Now, how how can this be? I think it will be clear by the time we get to the end. While the gospel is for everyone, it's for all peoples, it's for the entire world, to open to the entire world to receive Christ, we also see that the way of salvation is exclusive. In other words, there's only one way. We see this in this passage here because what what does it do if we back up a little bit? Abraham already has another son, Ishmael. And God says, cast out Ishmael and his mother. Not that he doesn't take care of them. He provides for them. God's good to them. But he says, cast them out. They're not the covenant family here. They're not how I'm going to carry out my plan of salvation. The the whole world is not going to be blessed through Ishmael. The whole world is going to be blessed through Isaac. And so it's exclusive in that way. It's going to go through Isaac. And then it's going to go, there's going to be two brothers. It's going to go through Jacob. And God has an exclusive plan of the way he's going to carry out and provide for this salvation. The New Testament points back to the relationship with Hagar and Ishmael and says exactly that. As we look at Galatians chapter 4, it says, Now you brothers like Isaac are children of promise. Children of promise. We believe the promise. We're brought into the family of God by faith. That's what the whole book of Galatians is about. The whole book of Galatians is, is the salvation of God by faith, or is it faith plus works? Is it faith plus my being able to keep the law, plus my being able to be religious enough? My being moral enough or ethical enough. Is it faith plus something or is it just faith? He says, you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. He's already brought up earlier in Galatians in chapter 4, Isaac and Ishmael. And he says, what does it say? Cast out the bondwoman, not going to be heir with the free woman. But just as at that time, he who was born according to the flesh. Here's the distinction. The child of promise... Or the child of flesh. Remember, Isaac's a child of promise. You just believe in God, even though your body's as good as dead, God makes it happen. Or Abraham and Sarah, when they sinned by taking Hagar into Abraham and having a child through Sarah's servant that would be considered Sarah's. And having a child that way, taking matters into their own hands. And so while one child focuses on the promise of God, the other one focuses on human ability. I can accomplish this myself. I can get this done. I can make this happen. And so you have one child that's a child of the promise and one child that's a child of the flesh. And the child of the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, as also it is now. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave but of the free woman. You see, the point that I'm making here is that God said in the provision of his salvation, it's not through Ishmael. It's through Isaac. Did you know that's still the conflict today? 
You know that if you punch it in on the internet, you'll find people discussing about whether it was Isaac that was the one that was almost sacrificed or whether it was Ishmael was the one that was almost sacrificed. Because the Muslims teach that it was Ishmael, that Ishmael is the chosen son. Ishmael's the one, and he's the father of their religion. God says, cast out. It's not through Ishmael. It's through Isaac. You see, it's very exclusive. God was providing his salvation. We see the same thing in the New Testament. What does Jesus say in John chapter 14 and verse 6? Jesus said to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You see, again, very exclusive. The salvation is inclusive of everyone. It's open to everyone. But you can't, have, you can't make it however you want it. This is God providing his salvation for us. You can accept it or you can refuse it, but you cannot make your own. You know, I've met people and maybe even been in the shoes myself where I felt like, you know what, if I can't make it on my own, then maybe I don't want it. Oh, that's a, that's a dire mistake. But sometimes people in their arrogance and their pride feel like, you know what, if I'm, if I'm just not good enough as I am, then, then I guess, I guess I just won't go. That is foolishness. God in His grace and His mercy at the expense of giving up His own Son to that cross paid for your sin and mine and it's nothing but foolishness and arrogance to turn our backs to it. But it is exclusively through one channel. Why? Because God only sent one Son. He has one Son and He sent that one Son to the cross and that's, that's how it's accomplished. You see it all through the New Testament. Acts chapter 4, verse 12 says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. 1 Timothy 2, 5, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. So there's passages that specifically say, look, there is no other way. Jesus Christ is the only way. He is the only salvation. There are a whole host of passages that don't even compare one and another. That just say, hey, look, here's the salvation of God, like in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1 says, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace. You know, the whole point is, look, God has provided a salvation for us and it is in the person of Jesus Christ. There it is. You don't find any place in the Bible where there's a salvation provided in any other way. It's all either pointing to Christ or fulfilled in Christ. It's all happening in Christ. In John chapter 3, verse 16, which we already looked at, what does it say? God so loved the world, so what did He do? He gave His Son. That's where the salvation is. It's found exclusively in Jesus Christ. I remember Lambert telling me he knew somebody that said all religions are just different runways into the same airport. Not true. It's impossible for it to be true. Why? Because we have multiple religions claiming to be the exclusive runway. They can't all be right. One has to be right and all the rest wrong or all of them wrong, but they can't, they can't all be right. It's impossible for them to all be right if they contradict. The salvation that God was providing as He started to show us or was continued to show us through Isaac that's going to lead all the way down to Jesus Christ, is inclusive. God is reaching out to the whole world with this gospel of Jesus Christ. It's also exclusive. He's only doing it one way. He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on that cross for our sins and to rise again from the dead and give us forgiveness of sins and victory in life. And it was completely sufficient. never has to happen again. 
It doesn't have to be repeatedly or repeated. It's once and for all sacrifice for all of our sins, as the book of Hebrews says over and over and over. It is the only way, just as Jesus said, nobody comes to the Father except by me. You're not going to get there through the flesh like Abraham tried to do with Ishmael. You're not going to, you're not going to provide God a, a different way or a, a, you provide your own path. You're not in your flesh and the abilities of yourself going to achieve your a relationship with God or going to achieve uh, being able to go to heaven and entrance into God's kingdom. The only way to do it is to receive it through the promise by putting our faith in Jesus Christ and letting Him bring us there.